Good morning, everybody. My name is Brad Davis. I'm one of the ministers here. I'm just going to start saying that again, because I really am. I technically don't work here as a minister, but I work for our family of churches as a minister uh, of the cohort and the new college of ministry, all that good stuff. Some of you know me. I was on staff here up until uh, January when Josh kicked me out and took over my spot. So (laughs) we all see how that's gone, you know. I'm just kidding. Our church is a much better place. It's really wonderful. Okay, um, so yeah, I am going to start this off with telling you that I have saved two lives, okay, in my lifetime, all right? The first one was a kindergartner named Leah who I had to do a Heimlich maneuver on because she swallowed a penny, and when asked why she swallowed a penny, she said, well, because I have no pockets. She was wearing a cute little dress. Uh, so I actually really didn't save her. It was kind of a medical thing. I mean, they, were, they took out the penny from her throat. It's not like I you know, did that or anything. But I did do the Heimlich, and she started breathing again. It was pretty exciting. Um, I don't even how, know how long ago. I was at TNF, our Thursday Night Focus, which many of you know is for our college students. And I've been there like three times in my life. And Selvent, one of our good friends of our ministry, some of you, he hasn't been around in a while. You might not know him. Uh, he's a great guy. He's got some cognitive disabilities, um, but uh, he has been around our ministry for a long time, friends of ours. Well, he was playing basketball one night, and he collapsed, okay? And I thought he was, like, kind of, like, complaining and being a baby about losing, but I'm, like, looking over there at collapsed Selvant, and I'm like, that's not normal. So I rush over there and start doing chest compressions, which actually, Mandy was right there next to me, thankfully, because she's like, hey, you probably want to take your hands and actually do chest compressions on the chest. (laughs) I was like all pumping his stomach and stuff. (laughs) Thankfully, at that time, they got rid of the rule where you like had to do the mouth-to-mouth because he was already throwing up, and I was like, I don't know if I can handle that, okay? (laughs) But Selvent went 10 minutes without breathing, okay? We thought he was a goner. He is alive today, just as good as before it happened, um, which to me is a miracle. not the least, well, I'll get to that in a second. I have another friend, this one wasn't so much a miracle that I did, okay? Um, it was just a miracle. And that was my good friend Superman who uh, comes to the shop to pick up scrap metal. He's had a couple strokes over the years and they've really impacted the way he communicates, like he can't talk. Well, he, he came to my shop probably a month and a half ago and was so excited. And I was like, what's going on, man? He's like, I just had another stroke. And I was like, why is that a good thing? And he's like, listen, I just had another stroke. And he said it three or four more times. I'm like, Superman, what is wrong with you? And I realized then, although he said it before I even realized it, was the last stroke had made him talk better. Somehow, the stroke miraculously made his communication clear all of a sudden, right? So I'm just, yeah, I had to share a little bit of the miracles that I did so that when I read this story about miracles, you'll realize how good of a miracle worker I am. But I also wanted to share the stories of other miracles that I have seen um, because I think we have a real tough time recognizing miracles these days and believing that they exist. Um, And uh, those are examples of miracles in my mind, okay? So we're going to read through Luke 7, uh, another miracle, just another one. And we're going to read it in the message. Uh, The whole series that we're doing over the summer is about stories uh, from the Gospels. I picked this one primarily because we talked about it this morning in our faith class. Uh, But I wanted to uh, to kind of take it in another direction. So Luke 7, 1 through 
10 is where we'll go with it. Message translation, better translation for just reading stories. Um, Okay, so when he finished speaking to the people, he entered Capernaum. A Roman captain there had a servant who was on his deathbed. He prized him highly and didn't want to lose him. When he heard Jesus was back, he sent leaders from the Jewish community asking him to come and heal his servant. They came to Jesus and urged him to do it, saying, he deserves this. He loves our people. He even built our meeting place. Jesus went with them. When he was still quite far from the house, the captain sent friends to tell him, Master, you do not have to go through all this trouble. I'm not that good a person, you know. I'd be embarrassed for you to come to my house, even embarrassed to come to you in person. Just give the order, and my servant will get well. I'm a man under orders. I also give orders. I tell one soldier, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. My slave do this, and he does it. Taken aback, Jesus addressed the accompanying crowd. I have yet to come across this kind of simple trust anywhere in Israel. The very people who are supposed to know about God and how he works. When the messengers got home, they found his servant up and well. I've always been pretty fascinated with the two stories uh, of Jesus calling Gentile people the greatest, uh, having the greatest faith in Israel. Because it's just such a jarring thing. It'd be like if C.S. Lewis, you know, was teaching one day and, you know, some agnostic was in the audience and he interacted with him and was like, this agnostic has the greatest faith of all Christians I've ever met, you know? That's my closest comparison. If it doesn't work for you, I'm sorry. (laughs) But it is. It's really pretty crazy. So to be clear, like, just grasp this story for a moment. You have a Roman, what amounts to a colonel, okay? The centurions were like the backbone of... Uh, these legions, okay? They were the ones that controlled. They had controlled about 80 people, I think, uh, if I remember correctly. I, I know a century and sounds like 100. I don't know, whatever. Did you figure that out, Grant? Was, am I right? Was it 80 people? Did you ever look? Okay. So who knows? It's numbers. And so they're the backbone here. They are pr- decently wealthy. Yeah? What? Oh, I thought I heard someone say something. Um, They were decently wealthy people. A lot of them, when they went into retirement, would move out of Rome and into neighboring areas in Galilee, Capernaum, like this guy was doing, uh, moving into an almost entirely Jewish community. A lot of Jews did not like them because they came with money and they came with Roman and Greek ideas. Uh, But this guy obviously is kind of a standout here. So he's a Roman colonel who has power, wealth, okay? And he decides one day that his servant, not even him, not his family, not a friend necessarily, but his servant, he doesn't want to die. So he uses his connection with the Jews, who he built a synagogue for, not being a Jew himself, to ask that Jesus would heal this person, doesn't even talk to him directly, doesn't even want him to come to his house, and Jesus heals the man. It's really kind of a crazy story when you think about it. All of the different positions of power and kind of ethnic and nationality, you know, differences. Somehow, uh, this story communicates just what Jesus expects for us when it comes to faith. All right? And I want to talk through that a little bit, but this is really kind of crazy. I want you to wrap your mind around just how odd uh, this is, Okay. So I'm going to give you kind of two lessons here, and they're going to be really short. I've been preaching these really short sermons lately, which are great um, for me and for you. I want to suggest to you that, and so I just have two kind of lessons here. The first one is that faith requires humility. Uh, Faith requires humility. 
Uh, this is kind of flies in the face of a lot of Christian arrogance that we see today, uh, which is quite the opposite. But if we are going to have simple trust in Jesus, we have to start with humility. Okay? We can't get there apart from humility. This is really, really uh, obvious from this passage. This man who has almost no reason to be humble is humble in his approach to Jesus. Uh, humility is just kind of the root word. Is, it sounds like hummus. It kind of looks like hummus, but just one M. It's just the ground. It just means the ground. Humility is just sort of being grounded in reality. I talked about this a couple months back when we talked about the hot air balloon of pride rising further and further up from the ground. Humility is just being grounded in reality, understanding the facts, not lost in your brain, lost in your perceptions, lost in a whole lot of misinformation in a fantasy world that doesn't exist. This centurion was not caught up in his position of authority because he knew there were greater authorities at work. It was clear in what he said that I have people over me, I'm over people, I know that I'm not at the top here of the food chain. So he was humble. Now, it's hard for us sometimes uh, just to grasp how countercultural this was for him because in Greek uh, uh, society, there was no moving up in the world. All right? To even be a centurion, guys, you had to have some money because guess what? The Roman army didn't provide you with any equipment. Okay? You had to have your own sword, your shield, all your armor. You had to provide that. So already this man would have come from some social standing and position, but the richer you were, the higher you could already raise. This was not like a, all right, I'm going to be a centurion and then get rich scheme. People in Greek society were highly fixed, okay, in their position, which is even more amazing considering uh, he didn't see this, this position of his as something to be um, taken for granted or grasped or exploited. All right? But he, and he didn't treat his, uh, the people around him like this. Not his troops, it doesn't seem like, not his servant, not the Jewish people. All the people that he had the ability to rule over and take authority over, he chose instead to understand that he himself had authority over him. And that's what opened up, I think, his eyes uh, to seeing Jesus for who he was. So, I want to recommend that faith is only possible when we are grounded in who we really are and what we really are capable of and it's in these times and moments where we kind of are grounded, maybe we're made humble, maybe we've decided to be humble, whatever, but it's in these moments that we have the ability to see just how little control we have over the world around us, okay? And maybe more importantly than that, how obsessed we are with the areas of little control we actually have, all right? So in these moments of being, whether it's being humbled, I'm humbling myself, we have uh, an opportunity to see just how little control we have over the world around us. And more importantly, how much we're obsessed with the areas we do have a little bit of control over. This is, I think, what can make uh, for very domineering and toxic mothers and fathers who, you know, the one thing that they seem to control in their life are their kids. So they can kind of create families where they have their own little kingdom and fiefdom and then, you know, turn their kids into whatever they want them to. And that's a really unfortunate thing. Okay? So, some of those uh, parents obviously have missed out on the husband and wife commands about how to treat families. Recognizing that God, we are reflective or uh, uh, image bearers of him in how we treat people. 
So we can never truly have faith, guys, unless we trust that Jesus is really in control of and in charge of and concerned about and involved in the various situations we come across. Okay? It's not me. It's not them. It's not chance. It's not the times. It's not the power structures. We are not, as sociology drilled into my head in college, simply products of our environment. We're just not. Okay? Jesus has control over those things. And it's hard for us to believe that. It's hard for me to even say it because most of the time I don't live like it. I think you can probably relate to that. But when we choose to trust Jesus, we trust him in moments knowing that he is an authority over us. We are under his authority and a variety of other authorities, by the way, even though we've somehow gotten uh, in our brains that we are the top authority, that we can really just sort of live our lives without any authority over us, which is a delusion of modern times. Okay, But we can never truly have faith unless we trust that he is really in control of, in charge of, concerned about, involved, yada, yada, yada. The Spirit urges us day after day to look to Jesus, to decide how to live, to trust him when life is rough, to talk to him when we do and don't know what to do next, and to love others in the same way he loved us. Okay, this was a powerful, wealthy man who chose to see his position and power and wealth as an insecure foundation. Okay? As an insecure foundation for controlling his own life. He knew that there was something more to this. He chose to trust Jesus, who he had a sense, which was a much more worthy and powerful authority than he had come across yet. And all that for the sake of his servant. So there's a huge lesson. It requ- faith requires humility. As we don't like to live out of humility. This is not a virtue that we appreciate much anymore. Okay, we're afraid of living out of control of our lives. And so we take the knowledge that we have, any positions of power we have, any authority we feel we have, whether it's our profession or our social standing or whatever, our certain abilities, personality, the way we look, and we look to those things to feel in control of our environment. And they're the very things that keep us from trusting Jesus. Okay? Because we substitute, feel in control, This centurion had the ability to see Jesus for who he was and what he was capable of because for a moment he remembered he wasn't at the top. There were authorities over him, okay? Number two, and in this way, I think it kind of delves into a little bit more of this authority thing. Humility recognizes authority, all right? So you can't have faith without humility. Faith, uh, humility is required for faith. Humility recognizes authority. Now, when I'm using the word authority here, I'm meaning a lot of different things, but primarily I'm talking not about just individuals, although that certainly applies, but whatever in our life sort of like tells us what to believe, what to do, what is right. Many of us, this is kind of hard for us to think about for really kind of two reasons. One, we're told that, you know, kind of our authority is our authority, like whatever's in the, there's no like unified authoritative principles for everybody. What's good for you, right for you is sort of enough for you. You should just sort of pay attention to that. Okay, so we have a a tough time because we tend to shun those ideas. Unless, of course, we believe someone else should, uh, you know, be under them. 
Uh, and two, we're kind of terrible historians. We talked about this a little bit this morning. We have a really tough time tracing back where our ideas come from and the authorities involved in some of the beliefs and things we think of today. A really tough time with that. Recognizing why it is that I believe what I believe and where did that come from and how did it happen and who is ultimately in charge of that. And we just kind of forget. We tend to judge everything in the current context uh, of how it's perceived, how the language is used. Uh, I was trying to think of an example of this to kind of bring it back down, but this example is a little bit rough, I think, um, which is kind of fun. I'm pretty well known for having terrible examples uh, of, of points. So, you know, this whole pronoun language stuff that people are, I'm not, I don't really even really understand it completely still. Um, but pronouns. Uh, yeah, so I, I, my understanding of the two arguments for these, uh, and again, who knows, is on the one hand, we don't like to, we don't think as Christians people should, you know, basically just choose their identity, okay? That, you know, certainly there are some things that we identify with and don't, but we don't just choose that. Some of them are given to us, and even if we do choose it, uh, it shouldn't be like a master status for us that, like, uh, you know, usurps Jesus' authority over us. So that's kind of the one side of the argument, right? The other side, as near as I can tell, is that, yeah, but pronouns help treat people in a way that's equal. We're not using language that has traditionally been used to oppress or domineer or, or dominate or whatever other people. So my best example of this was, you know the Quakers had this same argument 300 years ago? It's not exactly the same because their understanding of gender wasn't, you know, uh, like ours, or I should say the arguments they were having weren't like ours. But they had this, this, this tendency not to, uh, um, well, Quakers were kind of crazy anyway, right? I mean, they were like egalitarian. Uh, they really cared about the poor. They were like 200 years ahead of all of us in some really interesting ways. And, but their use of pronouns, uh, they wouldn't do what people in society did, which is, and I don't even understand this completely how it worked, but if a rich person said, like, uh, you know, if you, you were supposed to talk to a rich person as you, okay, they weren't the or thou, they were you. But then a poor person was only referred to as the or thou when that rich person was talking back to them. Some of us are like, this makes no sense. Just look it up, okay? <laughs> I don't know how to, like do it right here, like thee, thou, I don't get it all, but I know that the Quakers refused to use the thee, thou, uh, or it, because it basically elevated uh, rich people over poor people, and they believe that that didn't work for the gospel. An interesting idea, but they've had this argument. They've been talking about it. We don't know that. We don't pay much attention to where our ideas come from and how we think and, uh, you know, some of these other things uh, that have come down the pipe. We need to be better historians if, uh, if we're really going to understand um, and recognize authority and where it comes from. Nothing new under the sun, right? The Ecclesiastes author. So as a result uh, of us not um, kind of shunning the idea of authority over others and forgetting where authority has come from, we're in this weird and difficult situation, I believe, which I'm going to call idea warfare, okay? Where all my beliefs... Uh, at the moment are just sort of picked and pulled from different resources, different places. The biblical term for that is syncretism. And I pretend to have no real knowledge or don't have real knowledge of where all my ideas came from. I'm not recognizing the authority, uh, figures the authority in what it is that I believe. All right? So I can go on espousing them in a way that uh, the only real authority is, does it work? Is it useful? 
is it current? Uh, do people more or less not hate me for saying it, at least the people that I spend my time around? And we judge them, uh, other people, again, in the same context, without really any thought of the authority behind what it is uh, they think or believe. But guys, humility recognizes the authority of our beliefs and values. Where did they come from? Who said they were good? Why do I believe them? The scripture or entertainment? Paul or politics? Peter or philosophy? Jesus or just some Jenguses? That was a lost <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> Humility recognizes authority. Where do we get the ideas that we got? Where do they come from? You guys get them from fundamentalist Christians? Should you get them from liberal progressive radicalists? <laughs> All the cool names that we can associate with anyone and everyone? Where did your ideas come from? Where are the authorities for those? This morning, the faith class listed some of their most important beliefs, and next to each one, they had to try to write what was the major authority for it personality, politics, religion, Jesus, you know, schooling, whatever it is. Guys, if we are going to be faithful Christians, faithful to Jesus, it's going to require us to be humble, and humility will come from recognizing where we got the ideas we got. Where did they come from? Where, why do you believe what you believe? Okay, what authority, what leg do you have to stand on? We are not asking that question enough in our time period. We just aren't. We're moving on from one idea, one belief to the next without really ever paying attention to where they came from. And guys, as Christians, as truth seekers, we can't do that. We, shouldn't, we don't have that luxury. Jesus is real. He is interested in the real world. The Gospels are biography, history, real things that happened. It's not systematic theology or you know, a book of philosophy. It's just a bunch of subjective accounts of real things that happened. Yeah. And so we have to be grounded in reality, okay? Authority, we've got to figure out where the authority is coming from. Because if it isn't in Jesus, then we have to own that and question whether it needs to be, all right? So humility recognizes that individual authorities, ideas, whatever, ultimately come from people, uh, that rather than rely uh, on authorities, many of us simply, wait, I didn't read this point right. Oh, yeah. So thus, humility recognizes individual authorities rather than relies on useful ideas and interesting experiences. Okay? People of Jesus' day were just as amazed at his authority in teaching than at his miracles. And this is a really important point. Because if you see throughout the scripture, Jesus is constantly downplaying his miracles. And he's not downplaying them because, you know, they're not important. But he's downplaying them because if people substitute the miracles themselves for believing rather than seeing his authority, then they've missed his point in particular. The whole point was the miracles were supposed to just give more weight to the fact that he had authority as someone who could, uh, um, you know, com completely control over creation and over people. I think modern-day listeners would be so fascinated and frustrated by his miracles that we could easily ignore the authority question altogether. Yeah. After all, miracles are pretty useful and fascinating, but the authority tends to be confining and boring because it demands something of us, mm. which is to be humble. <laughs> the miracles for Jesus guys weren't cheap parlor tricks. They were first about proving God's authority. Look, I have control over every aspect of creation. You don't, right? 
And second, which is even neater, it was about one-on-one healing people who really needed it. Jesus constantly told people not to tell about his miracles. Miracles were about helping individual people. The God of the universe came here and helped individual people and then wanted other people to be quiet about it. (laughs) That's the God we serve. That's who he is. It's really a remarkable and crazy thing. So we can contrast that with the lie of our current mindset, uh, guys, that we're at the top of authority, pretending like there is no one above us, or maybe God, maybe sometimes. It's no wonder we struggle with faith. We, we don't humble ourselves. We don't recognize where the authority is coming from. And therefore, uh, we have very little space often to trust who Jesus is. So I'm going to give you a couple practicals, and these are just more questions, okay, uh, than anything. But in conflict with others, by what authority do you speak? You have conflict with others. When you speak, what authority do you have? Whose authority are you using? Are you speaking out of your own mind, out of your own beliefs? Are you speaking out of someone else's beliefs? Someone else, are you their mouthpiece? What authority? In conflict within yourself, is Jesus an authority in your mind? Is he even there? Okay? In conflict with other Christians, is your authority Jesus or your theology or worldview? In conflict with the world, is your authority political and personal or Jesus, the person? So these are just some ways of kind of thinking through uh, some of how we think about the world around us. Some of our conversations, particularly in the context of what happened this week, need to be a lot more seasoned with salt, okay? Uh, And they need to be a lot more open to listening and hearing and thinking and moving forward, um, trying to kind of grasp where people are at and uh, and why they're uh, in the place that they're in so that we can lead to some really good conversations that bring people back to Jesus. Um, do we have time for q and I don't know. This was, I don't know. Yeah? Okay, sure. We've done that in a long time. Uh, you guys got any uh, questions? From Bo? Yeah. You got a Q? Did you call it a Q? You called it a Q in the question. No, I said Q&A. Yeah. I didn't separate the two. <laughs> okay, she's got a Q. She's cool. She's got a Q. Okay, um, so the example you used, yeah. I just had a question about it. Okay. So, so it was nothing about anything I said in my sermon. It was just the example I used. In your sermon. I, I mean, but like well, well, something well, else. Anyway. Not my um, words, but someone else's words. <laughs> yes. Okay, to be clear. Okay, the example you used about pronouns. So wh- when you were talking about the Quakers, I just want to understand yeah, of course. what you were saying. Cool. Um, and I just want to make fun of you. So cool, fair. <laughs> or clear. Good trade, good trade-off. Um, like... The, were you saying, like, you were, you were using that example, like, so we can understand, to, as, like, a, to stress that we need to understand where, like, like, you know, the things that are happening now, where they come from, like, the conversations we have now, the ideas. Uh, Is that part of that? Yeah, I th- definitely, okay, where, where it comes from. Like, the, the okay. Quaker sense of wanting people to be seen as equal mm-hmm. and to be equal and not using terms that are oppressive or dominant. Yeah, it can, I mean, I don't know where else we got it from. Oh, okay. The Quakers kind of, that was their deal. So I think if we think about this current thing with the pronouns, we have to think about how that very much has at least historically come out of, of strands of Christian thinking and how the words that we use uh, matter for how we talk about, um, you know, about other people. Cool. It wasn't picked up for a couple hundred years, but yeah. Because I think sometimes, well, never mind, I'm not going too much of the politics out of that. But yeah, I think that's right. Does that help? Yes. Okay, great. Any others? 
Wow. I'm going to end then. Rare for you guys not to have questions. I guess I just really lost my touch over these last. <laughs> yeah, man, that's tough. God, you love us deeply, and you are in control of this world. Help us to believe that day in, day out. Um, humble us so that we can see really how susceptible we are to the various authority powers and uh, in our society and the people around us, that we'd be very humble in what it is that we know and open and willing to learn from you. Amen. Thanks, guys. What's up, guys? We have not that many announcements this time for once in a while. So, sorry, you won't get to see me very long. I mean, I could make the announcements really long if you want me to. Okay, yeah, I'm getting a lot of yeses. Oh, yes, I would love to. I'd love to sing them. So the first thing is that coming up in a few weeks is what I'm, I'm, I know I'm talking. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's, it's a form of singing, you know. It's, there's a note that I am hitting, and I'm just staying on the same one, okay? And there's a rhythm. You just, good luck figuring it out. So the Spark Social, which is happening on July 16th, it's starting to approach. It's starting to seem like not a super far off thing. Yeah, it's free. It's cool. It's got a QR code. So what more do you need, honestly? Um, if you're a 20 or 30 something, this is for you. This is a way for our family of churches. We have five churches total in our family of churches. For people in this stage of life, which is an interesting one, a perplexing one, a, a, lot, a stage of a lot of transitions in a row, to connect and know each other and to hang out and know that we are serving the same Lord in different corners of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So please put this on your calendar, and it's going to be not that far for us. Um, a couple weeks ago, Sean mentioned that like so many things that happen in our family of churches aren't that close to Denton. Carrollton might be just about the closest thing that's happened. So let's let's be, show up really well, and then people might want to make things closer to Denton more often. Amen? So that's a great question. Um, I think if you're a college student and you're getting close to the time to graduate somewhat soon, so you're trying to think about this time of life, I think you'd get something out of this. Um, but it is a little bit more geared toward, toward if you've just graduated, just about to graduate, or the like 15 years after you've graduated, <laughs> if that makes sense. But no one's going to keep you from going. Uh, it'd probably really be good for you to go, um, and you'll get a lot out of it. So um, that's a good question. The next thing is, hey, Melissa, would you talk about the sprinkle thing? Okay. <laughs> so that if you if you want to RSVP for that and you don't know how to get to that, it's dentonnorthchurch.com slash social network takes you to that social network that is all our own and not not muddled by the ads, parkour videos, memes, you know, all the crazy stuff of the metaverse. Exactly. Um, so check that out, dentonnorthchurch.com slash social network. The next thing to put on your calendar that we've talked about a couple times, it has been at the bottom of the newsletter for a little while is the pool party, the all churches, all the family of churches pool party is on July 31st. We have, we'll have more details coming, but just mark that day, that evening off. It should probably be somewhere right around 6 p.m., I think, um, and details will come soon. But usually there's also lots of ice cream involved. Um, I haven't heard for certain that there's going to be, but it, I think it's going to happen. So, okay, deal. Well, I'll bring just one little pint just so that I can defend myself against you. 
Um, so please put that in your calendar, July 31st, 6 p.m. And then the last thing is just giving. So you can give at DentonNorthChurch.com slash donate and also on Venmo at DentonNorthChurch. And when you give, our goal with this is to both be providing people to invest back into you. That's one of our biggest goals. We are a, a relational ministry in our church and also for the, the friend next to you to be invested in, as well as our community, our, our city. It's important to us that we're involved in and contributing to and benefiting the city around us, as well as just the kingdom of God growing and planting churches, supporting focus, supporting a ministry, supporting evangelism to continue to reach uh, the Dallas area together. So um, at northchurch.com slash donate or on Venmo. I'm going to say a short prayer for us. Then we can stack the chairs, mingle. There's lately, I'll say this too, there's, lately there's been a little bit of extra coffee at the end. So if you need a, a little boost, there's been a couple mugs left most of the time. Let's not waste it. Let's put it to good use and make our brains a little bit too uh, <laughs> stimulated. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, Lord, thank you for this chance to get to come together today, worship you, love you. Um, Lord, thanks for the reminder about the authority you have over our lives and um, the many, many authorities, including our own self and our own uh, pride that can really get in the way and muddle that. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to really take that word to heart and help us to, to know how you want us to apply that in our daily lives. Um, Lord, help us just to submit um, in our daily lives to your Holy Spirit and just recognize the authority of your guidance and your leadership and your, um, your love and your also just sovereign grace for us. And, um, Lord, that's such a challenging, challenging thing to remember. Lord, help us so much. We need you every day. And I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.